Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. We are part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza. Welcoming in my longtime lieutenant, Chris Anderson. Chris, your job is safe. So let's say, am I about to get the uh, the Fredo Corleone kiss here, and I'm I'm going to die here soon? I realize how backwards I had. I think I would be your lieutenant to step <laughs> my boss on this one here. So am I safe? I don't know. You know who's not safe? Larry Harrison dismissed on Thursday afternoon at West Virginia. He has been with Bob Huggins since day one here at West Virginia, many years before that at Cincinnati. I don't know who had this on their bingo card. Because Huggins is not one to make changes, famously loyal to his assistant coaches. I also don't know how you couldn't have heard what Huggins said recently after a game and seen some of the things that we witnessed on the bench and on the sideline, never mind on the court, and be completely caught off guard by this either. No, I'm glad you, I mean, the night that he said, you know, he was being too soft or, you know, being too kind or whatever to, to the players and the staff. Like you don't say that for no reason. You you absolutely do not say that for no reason. And and we discussed that when it happened, kind of like that's odd. Um, something's going on and I'm glad you brought it back up, pulled that quote back up in your analysis um, on Thursday evening, because anybody who thought this was a, you know, a rash decision or, or last second, or just happened, like that's been building for a while. You could just tell from the comments. Cause yeah, that, that's not something you just throw out there. Uh, Cause pretty obviously when you're talking about players, one, you know, it's a coach player dynamic Two, you have 13 to 15 players. And so maybe there's a little bit of ambiguity about who you were talking about. So you're kind of just making a general statement, but when you're saying, you know, it about your coaching staff, you're allowed three assistant coaches. So you pretty much narrowed it down to three guys and you've gone out of your way to say it. And, and so, yeah, um, kind of building up and you can tell Huggins was, was not happy with something. Let's, um, let's pause here and back it up a little bit too. And I want to go even before this quote, which we'll get to, but I want to talk about the mood before the holidays, the first half against Buffalo, the entire game against Stony Brook. There was an immediate disconnect to me after the Stony Brook game where the players like, listen, we're not happy with the way we play. We're not mad about being 10 and two. We're happy to go on the break, so on and so forth. Um, Bob Huggins came in with all the coal for all the stockings. 
and said, you know, if you can't get up for a game for the holiday break, maybe you shouldn't come back. He was pretty brief. I think that news conference was less than eight minutes. Uh, win or lose, that's typically a gap fest after the game. They can go 20, 25 minutes. And we knew there wasn't going to be a whole lot coming out of him that night, and it didn't go very long. And it just seemed to me like, are these guys 10 and 2, or is something coming? I will not pretend that I knew this was coming, but that's foreshadowing. Chris, they lose their first game in the Big 12 on the road to Kansas State in overtime. It looked like Kansas State was okay. I'm not sure we thought Kansas State would be racing to the top 10, but it looked like Kansas State had some parts. And it didn't seem like West Virginia played a terrible game. Scraped together just enough at the end to go to overtime and just didn't win in overtime, but made some mistakes where if you make your free throws, which isn't a matter of defense or even offensive execution, maybe you win that game. Anyways, it sounds like after the game that Huggins finds the panic button and begins to rap on it. And he says this, here's the quote you're talking about. We've got a bunch of BSers. They don't really want to be special. They want to hang on. We've got too many guys. Sometimes I have too big a heart and let guys around who shouldn't be around. And I try to help them. Probably the same with the staff. Whew. Um, that was arresting to me because there had been there had been a lot of people who told you and me that changes were recommended in the offseason. They had two-year contracts, and you can correct me on this because you wrote the story, but they had two-year contracts that expired before um, the start of this season. Is that correct? Was it this season or last season? Last season. Last season. Yeah. Okay. So you go 16 and 7 after you reward your coaches with, I'm assuming, multi-year contracts here. Got to make a change, right? And Huggins, no, no, no. no. We're going to keep it. And they do end up changing things a little bit late in the game to add Josh Eilert because Eric Barton goes to South Carolina State. That's not a name that we had heard as a person who was going to be asked to move on. Um, it seemed like a lot of those conversations focused on surely some Eric Martin, but Eric Martin was up for the Cincinnati job. But Eric Martin got the South Carolina State job. He was going to be moving on on his own, it seemed like. But Larry Harrison and Ron Everhart were two of the names that we heard were certainly being discussed. And here we are. Um, after that comment about the staff. And it just seemed to me like he's not talking about Josh Eiler because he's new. I would think that you could put Jay Koontz in that conversation because he is new in the sense that he was just elevated to director of recruiting and player personnel. And also that's not a coaching position, but man, that's part of the staff. Like you're giving the chef the ingredients to cook with. So I can see him getting some of the, the coaches scorn, but I would exclude him from that because everybody celebrated Jay's work. So it just seemed like it was coming down to Harrison and Everhart. And then as our reporting yesterday said, this decision was made on that road trip that Huggins was going to make a move. It was okay. Let's say that. I want to have the leverage I need to make a move. Can I do it? Yes. And he didn't. And then things got kind of weird against Kansas and Baylor. And if you people told us to watch this, and I watched it, and you took note of this too, things were different on the bench. Um, from the second half of that Kansas game on, um, and certainly during that Baylor game, things were not what we have seen for so many years in a row, they were different substitution patterns. There were different minute dispersions. It, it just wasn't the same. And how much of that is, listen, we're 0-2. We got to fix this. We're 0-3. We got to fix this. Maybe some. But visibly, and, and I guess I'm even told audibly, <laughs> something was different. Something was amiss. And then when you find out after the Baylor game that they're going to fire Larry Harrison, it begins to make a little more sense. Yeah, the big the big thing there was 
for years. And I, you might know the answer to this. We may have to go back and look, but Harrison has handled in-game substitutions for this basketball team. Um, I, I'm certain – I know there's times where Huggins turns around, yells, you know, like if there's a bad play or something's going on and tells somebody to run in there. But for the most part, Harrison has been in charge of rotations and minutes and all of that stuff um, as the game is happening. And as you noted, it seemed like the last couple games, maybe he wasn't. And there's been a few instances, some strange minutes, some strange rotations, some confusion. Um, The Baylor game, you and I talked about this before we hopped on here. There was a stretch there in the middle of the second half. It is a one-point game at this point. And at about – Eric Stevenson gets called for a foul. He gets subbed out. I believe it's his fourth or his, yeah, I think it's his fourth. And 30 seconds later, there is a ball out of bounds. Huggins turns around, points to Stevenson to go in. Stevenson runs in and Huggins is busy talking to somebody else. But it seems like from afar and everybody can watch this clip it's all it's all right there on the videotape stevenson doesn't know who he's going in for he wasn't told who he is subbing out and then he thinks it's wilson and then seth wilson's standing there confused and he's got his hands out um everybody on the bench is confused there's a graduate assistant or maybe the ops director uh kind of stepping up trying to like literally pulling on huggins's jacket being like hey who's coming out? Hey, hey, we need an answer. Hey, we need an answer. And finally, they just tell Seth Wilson to sit down. And they inbound the ball. Trey Mitchell gets called for an offensive foul one second later. Like, it's literally 9.57 and 9.56. And immediately, somebody says something, and Wilson goes back in. Stevenson comes back out. Now, in a vacuum, whatever. You know, that's, that, that's whatever. But given all that we know and who used to handle substitutions, who's starting to handle substitutions, and then seeing that happen in real time and the confusion on everybody's face and who's handling what, who's doing something and who's not doing something, it kind of raised an eyebrow, uh, at least on my end as I'm watching it, even live and especially now, you know, a little 2020 vision now being like, holy moly. Um, But yeah, you could kind of sense it with, with things like that and some other instances of uh, a change happening with responsibilities, I guess, is how we're going to put it. Yeah. And the, the playing time, the second half of the Kansas game is one thing that people have told me to go look at. And, and, and like, it's, it, it's different, I guess, because Kedrian Johnson didn't play that game, but that is evidently when like Huggins and Alex Ruoff kind of just took over took greater control of who's playing how much let's make sure they don't make to may play too many minutes and um they changed and things are different now and then it, it continued against Baylor and now we have this situation where West Virginia is 0 and 4 and it, and I keep saying this and I've said it for far too long now and I'm not saying it because I want to kind of hammer home my point but man Chris this is a team that needs something good to happen in the worst way and this is probably not what they're thinking is going to qualify as that because Harrison's been around a long time and players, even when they're 0 and 4, think that they're going to be 4 and 4 and then 5 and 4 and 14 and 4. 
when they start to look around and be like, wait a minute, other people don't believe this. Wait a minute, the coach is gone. What does that mean? That can spook you a little bit too. And now it's a team that hasn't won on the road in 99 weeks in Big 12 play. They go to Oklahoma. They have not had success against that team or in that venue in quite some time. I have no idea what to expect on Saturday. This is going to be very interesting. It could inspire them. It could spook them, like I said, but it's a pretty big moment here too. Speaking of big moments, let's talk about the radio. To preface this, here's what we reported yesterday. Decision made on the road trip. Didn't happen, didn't happen, and then did happen. Um, Bob Huggins is a Hall of Fame coach, uh, second among winning, second wins among active coaches, third all-time in Division I history. Ren Baker's cup of coffee is still warm in the athletic director's office. I have an extraordinarily hard time thinking that in the midst of him getting to know the landscape and working closely with football in a pretty important time in the football offseason, with everything else going on, all the meetings and everything he's doing, that Ren Baker stepped into the Coliseum on Thursday and said, Bob, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fire your longtime assistant coach. I just do not believe that. I've been told that's not what happened from many people. We covered this yesterday. Not going to go over that more now. If you want to read it, go check it out. I'm not going to use our airtime for that. Bob Huggins uses airtime Thursday night on his radio show to say he was not as involved in this as he is portrayed to be. Uh-oh. What do we have here? I don't know. And that's kind of what I wrote last night was I was my initial thought was, yeah, he's he's obviously saying he wasn't as involved in the decision to fire Harrison as he was portrayed to be. Um, and you're 100 percent right to think that no context, no follow up. It's a radio show. I get that. I'm sure there are ground rules for the conversation. The question that could be asked, you might be able to fill that in more based on what you told me before we started talking. But. I don't know how you would read that or hear that and go. Oh, he meant something different than that. Yeah. And like the only, again, if, if I didn't know what I knew, which I knew because you knew, you told me, um, and, and it's, it's in the story that you wrote again, that you referenced, and we don't need to dive into that too much. Go read it. But if I hadn't read that first, I would say, oh, he's very clearly saying he didn't make the decision that it came from someone else. Um, but I, I, and then I started thinking, is he saying that he maybe wasn't as, cause he says, uh, you know, I wasn't as involved as I've been portrayed to be, is, is he saying he wasn't as involved in the team and the decision-making the game decisions. And that's why Harrison had to go again. That's why I would, I, I, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. So that's why I said, I put both up there. Said, who knows, wish there was a follow-up, but it's not, it's not a situation for a follow-up really. Like you noted radio show supposed to be fun and just kind of hanging out. Over yeah, not, being, not being critical there. I understand the venue for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, this isn't some, some press conference where people are supposed to be peppering him with questions. Um, but I think it's safe to assume he kind of wants to distance himself from this decision. Is that, is that a safe way of saying this? I would say that it's also equally possible to, to spin what he said another way or for him to 12 hours later. Well, actually we'll talk to him at 1130 this morning and it'll come up. I promise. But if we're loud and still might, <laughs> but 
I wasn't involved in playing patterns and substitutions in, in guard play as much as it's portrayed to be. And I'm just not going to bury my longtime assistant coach on the radio. I could see that being an interpretation of that. Again, he just, he doesn't speak on accident. Like I think a lot of people goof on stories that we've heard before, tales of Cincinnati, rearview mirror, kind of hearing a lot of the same things over and over. For a guy who's done 1,300 postgame news conferences, forgive him for that. Uh, he does not speak accidentally. He's going to be the smartest guy in the room in most rooms. Um, there, There's a lot of things that you could actually – you can shake this snow globe, Chris, and it can fall differently every time. And I just don't know. I think it demands a question and an answer. We'll see. But it certainly implies that the new athletic director intervened here. And I just don't believe that to be true unless there is something that happened that we do not know about. And I, again, I've been told that's not true. Cause again, I told this, this was pretty much decided the runway was clear for takeoff or, or grounding, I guess on that road trip. It's, it's a weird look that I don't know how they're going to address or if they will address um, head in the sand seems to be the way that some of the sports kind of go about their business here. This may be it too, but I don't know how you interpret that any differently now too, but. I just, I just do not believe that's the way that happened. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I think I, I, all I keep thinking about with situations like this, I mean, not the only thing I think about, but just be upfront and clear publicly because you, you always see people when somebody screws up or somebody does something and then they just admit it and say, this is what happens. It was wrong. Or, you know, this is what I'm doing and this is why period. Like, People are like, wow, that's refreshing. And, you know, it's nice to see that guy. I hope it works out, whatever. But once you start fumbling and mumbling and, and pointing fingers and not being clear and leaving things open to interpretation, then you start getting wild theories. I mean, it, just some of the messages that I've received about the reasons that Larry Harrison's no longer around. I mean, I don't It's It's wild. And, and, that's not what you want kind of being spread about right now. And you're leaving open that possibility by not just making a decision. And I don't want to start getting on my rant from God, what's it been four months now ago where I said, West Virginia just had to make a decision one way or another on Neil Brown and go for it. And they didn't. And we've seen how that's gone. It's been a bumpy ride the last few months. And here we are with this again. Just come out and say, hey, need a change. Wasn't happy with what was happening. Some of these uh, decisions on rotations were being made. I want to take it over or I want somebody else to do it. And it had to happen. And we needed to make changes on the coaching staff. 
Maybe we should have done it last offseason, but now we're going to do it this right now. We'll get an interim guy in here for now, figure something else out in the offseason. Like just, just say it and be clear about it. And that'll solve half your problems. It's really not that difficult. It's it's exactly as difficult as you just said. And the the avoidance of transparency around some of the stuff. And it's it's college epidemic too. It's not just West Virginia. I don't know why, but like they've got to they've got to pull the wool down and they've got to keep the wool over at least one eye. And you can't see things that you want to see as clearly as maybe you think you're entitled to. And entitlement of fans and media sometimes drives coaches and players and colleges crazy. Um especially when the perception bleeds into reality and and that's not anybody's intent. Like we'd like to be able to steer this the right way, but um, we'll see on that one here in the uh, let's just say interim, Chris, there are three seats on the bench. One's vacant right now. Hot board season. Where is it, Michael? No, Post absolutely it. not. Post it and update it every day. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that. There, there's certainly a couple names here too, but I would assume that Alex Ruoff, and this may be clarified this after, this morning when we talked to Bob. We'll see. All this may be clarified when we talked to Bob. We'll see. But he is sitting next to Huggins at games this year. If you remember last year, we had Kirk Soraka, PTSD. We were wondering why he was coaching football as an analyst. And we finally found out, yeah, he was kind of more involved than he had been before late in that football season. Well, then we noticed that Josh Eilert was sitting near Huggins, and he was the director of operations when Eric Martin goes. Logically, Josh Eilert becomes an assistant coach. Alex Ruoff is in the seat next to Huggins now. Um, I'm told that that has a lot to do with substitutions now and that information at the end of the bench where they have an analytics guy and they have people who are tracking minutes and matchups and what's good and what's bad, they can get the info, info to Huggins through the Alex Ruoff filter. Ruoff played for Huggins, um, very good international basketball player, competitively, um, instructionally, he gets it and he can talk to Huggins and Huggins will listen. So that makes sense. And I would assume that he would be an interim here. He's in a GA right now, never been the recruiting on the road. Walking into a living room that Baylor or Kansas or Texas Tech is walking out of, that's tricky. Would he be a permanent replacement? I don't know. We've also heard a couple of names in conversations and on the board. Absolutely yeses, absolutely noes. I don't know how much you want to get this, but names or even profile for how they fill this spot or perhaps multiple spots. I think whatever decision is made right now is going to be interim. Like, I mean, that, that seems kind of obvious since we're mid season. Um, but what you said earlier about the coaching staff and last off season and Hey, you know, there's talk. Oh, there were three assistant coaches, Everhart, Harrison, Martin. And it was like, Hey, Everhart and Harrison might be the guys being, you know, changes being made to um, uh, they might be let go. Um, I had been hearing that maybe Everhart was going to retire or even kind of look for a head, a head coaching job at a smaller school. He's been a head coach for a long time. He's been coaching for a long time. He is over 60 years old. Um, so it would not have surprised me if he retired and, and maybe that's what's to come after this season. And if that is going to happen, why make one move now when you still have to make another move in the off season? So yeah, I like the idea of, Kind of just, hey, Alex, you're already sitting next to me. You're already, you know, helping make decisions on rotations and stuff. Uh, we're going to slap interim assistant coach tag on you, give you a, a few extra bucks. 
uh, actually a lot of extra bucks, I guess, if you're a GA, um, it's a big bump. Um, and we'll move on from there and, and make some decisions in the offseason. I think that is the smartest and safest way to go right now. I would imagine if you look at what they did this past offseason, that their, their shift of focus is going to work. They really leaned into the transfer portal. They invested in Jay Coons. And what I mean by that is, oh, my God, do you hear that, Chris? <laughs> and what I mean by that is they shifted from absolutely knowing the portal to this is our absolute best way to win. Did it work? We'll see. It was great for 12 games. Hasn't been terrific in the past four, but their roster is better than it could have been had they relied on what they had in place. Had they not supplemented their losses with transfers. So it bends toward what college basketball and college sports is becoming, which is portal mercenary work, right? So you're going to have to really recruit whether it's out of the portal or, you know, late high school players. Like they don't have anybody in the recruiting class right now. And the competition for players who are uncommitted and available is going to be immense, but can they can get some of those players because they'll have spots and playing time and minutes in the power five conference. So my point here is that if they shifted toward recruiting and being ambitious and getting talent, I think their staff is going to be the same. And I think it's going to be energetic people with connections to AAU programs, New York city, hotbeds for high school, hotbeds for West Virginia connections. That could be Cincinnati. That could be Northeast Ohio. It could be, you know, New York, New Jersey, that Metro area too. And I wonder if it's not just Huggins is the closer. You know, he can still throw 96, but he can't do it for six innings, seven innings. But he knows his people. He has his eye on things. He can get guys. But they can also bring players to him. He can say yes or no. And he can close the deal. And remember, this is not completely foreign because, as he said, he never watched a second of film on Jose Perez before they brought him in. And a lot of the transfers, he said, he just listened to the arguments for and against. He knew about Stevens because they played against him. He knew about Trey Mitchell because they played against him. He, they knew Mitchell from Pittsburgh and that connections from the prep school area. But like they didn't do a deep dive scouting and bring it to Huggins. And he did his own deep dive. He let his staff do the work. And for the most part, the staff supported the decision and brought it to Huggins and Huggins said, yeah, we'll do it. I'm sure he said no on some things too, but that's the direction they're going. And I, I just think that the profile of their assistant staff in the future is going to be people who recruit junior colleges, you know, again, strong AAU programs, prep schools, those, those cities that really matter geographically or traditionally West Virginia, they can just run around there, grab the players, bring them to Huggins and Huggins says, yep, nope. And he's the closer here and he tries to get it. They make the pitch and he closes the deal. He says yes, or he does the last work on the recruiting process. He answers some questions, which may be how long are you going to be here? Or can you get me to the NBA and anything in between? I would be very surprised if it's like it has been for the prior few years, whether it's relying on Ohio and junior colleges and developing players for a number of years. I think they're going to try to be splashy in recruiting. They already kind of are. And I think they're going to be splashy in the portal, which they already kind of are. I'm with you on the Huggins as a closer thing. And I think it's already starting to happen or started to happen. Um, I'm thinking to Wagi or Bell. I can't remember who it was. That was in the junior college championships. Um, and it was like a, a week long. Um, and whoever, uh, whichever one of them was, I can't remember, but 
they said, you know, Harrison was there, Martin was there, Everhart was there, and they, whoever the assistant coach was there for multiple days, three, four days. And then Huggins basically showed up for one day after after getting, you know, like you said, the, the full deep dive breakdown from the assistant coach, gave it to Huggins, Huggins showed up, and almost like, uh, you know, the Roman emperor, thumbs up, thumbs down, after watching one game. I'm like, all right, I, I see one game, and I, I get your full scouting report. I trust you on this full scouting report. I see one game just to confirm at least some of what you're telling me, thumbs up. Or I don't see what you're seeing, thumbs down. And that's like, I know there's going to be people that hear that and be like, wow, that's terrible. Why, why even have it? No, that's great. That I think that's what you want in your kind of the, your makeup of a coaching staff. You want your head coach to trust his assistant coaches and their scouting reports. Yes, the head coach needs to get in and make sure they can truly fit his scheme, fit his style, fit his you know personality. And but I don't think you need months and months and months of scouting reports and tape and film on that for the head coach to watch to confirm that. Uh, your assistant coaches should know you and the player well enough to help make that decision. Yeah, got to be symbiotic. You have to trust your assistants to do the work and then to trust the information that they bring to you. And you have to be on the same page. You can't be anti-portal. You have to bring in portal guys in because you think you have a shot at a high school guy or a junior college guy. I think that had been problematic in the past six to 10 months. And that can't be something they do in the, in the future. So listen, a lot of these details we covered, we're not going to repeat them all here. Go read the story. I'm sure we'll have more details here. I, I might have an update for you. We also have Huggins at 1130 this morning. By the time that you hear this, he might have already spoken. So check out the site, see what he has to say, if he does say anything. And we close, Chris, with football, because that is not our preoccupation here, which is maybe unusual after the soft close of the portal, but also during this is a junior day weekend coming up where they're going to have some visitors. But more immediate is that they have made a couple of additions. One, I think, is maybe a bit more crowd pleasing than people would have expected because it's a wide receiver who played in the Power Five conference, has some numbers. The other is a defensive lineman who is probably looking for a chance to play and, and show what he has from a Power Five conference that maybe wasn't a take or wasn't a priority before, but they're also not shy about adding defensive linemen and they got a big one here who has a couple seasons left too. Yeah. First one up on the docket here is uh Devin Carter wide receiver from NC state. I mean, I, I said it in my analysis, like, is it lazy to just say this is Bryce Ford Wheaton's replacement with the potential to be, you know, slightly better it seems lazy because it's like, hey, it's a big, tall receiver. He's 6'4", 210. Bryce Ford Wheaton was listed at, I think, 6'3", 220 or so. Um, and they're both from North Carolina. They're both recruited by the same coaches. They're friends. Uh, so it seems like, hey, yeah, pretty obvious uh, connection there. And it's true because he is going to play that X receiver, that outside receiver uh, that Bryce Ford Wheaton played the last three, four years for West Virginia. Um, he plays similarly. He grades out similarly. I think there's two big things where fans might get excited. Cause if you asked me, you know, what, what's, what's one thing that kind of, uh, you know, hurts Bryce Ford Wheaton stock. And some people might say the drops, you know, he's been a guy that has dropped some passes uh, over the last couple of years. We've, we've noted it here. He and Sam James were among the big 12 leaders in drops for each of the last three or four seasons. Um, 
Carter has 12 drops in four years. So that, that would be a slight improvement. And I think it was important to, to, I don't know how important it is, but it, it, it meant something that West Virginia flipped him from Penn state. It, it's not, I don't know if it's some big pound your chest and talk about it forever, but it meant something. It's not nothing going over there and taking a kid who was committed to Penn state and enrolled. Like he had already put in his enrollment deposit and was supposed to be at classes and West Virginia walked right up and said, don't go to class. Don't go to class at Penn state tomorrow. Give us one more chance. And he did. And West Virginia took him away. However, that happened, you know, we uh, put it, on the board, we talked about it, that, you know, the NIL deals, the playing time, the, the other visitors and all that stuff. However it happened, or a combination of all those things, it happened, and West Virginia beat Penn State for this kid, and I think he's a very nice addition at wide receiver for West Virginia. All right, let's shift. Defensive line, they had some holes. We thought they filled it with Day Hawkins. They definitely filled it now with the second name. Yeah, Fatorma Mulba uh, from Penn State, big, massive, strong dude. 6'3", 308 currently, he tells me. Um, I talked to some people at Penn State and was like, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about this guy. Why is he not playing? I said, you know, he just he's a little bit stiff. He's not as, athlet- as athletic as maybe your highest end uh, power five defensive linemen are, even at nose tackle, but he's about as strong as you could possibly be. And Penn State runs like 4'3", so he in, in West Virginia – you know, mostly runs with a three-man front. So he's more like a true nose tackle in the middle of that three-man front than he would be a a standard defensive tackle in that four-man front. So I think he's actually going to be a better fit for West Virginia. And then that might be what WVU is relying on. Um, You you referenced, you know, interesting story with him and and take or not take, you know, he was a guy, we got the heads up on him on Saturday and I put it on the board and I was told, Hey, this kid has an offer from NC state, but he and his family want to go to West Virginia. If he gets the okay from West Virginia, he'll commit on Sunday. And, you know, I think there was a little pushback on that when I checked it with some capital P people. And part of that was because day Hawkins was on campus on Saturday and he was going to commit. And my assumption at that point was, Oh, Hawkins is option a, um, and Mulba is option B, but they don't play the same position really. I mean, Hawkins is truly a guy that can bounce in and out while, um, Mulba is a guy that's going to be like your true nose type. So there were some other factors at play, but he came, he confirmed everything as stories up on the site in a full interview with him. He came up on Sunday, they were ready to commit. Uh, his family loved it. And a couple of days later they went public with it. And, and he is, he's a guy who would not be there for spring football but we'll be there in May. Um, but you know, when you got three years of, uh, of already play, or two years of, or three, I guess with COVID uh, of playing college football, um, I don't know how much you need to be doing spring football. A relief for him. I'm sure too. Final question, Chris, these are times where we thought the portal was closed. All of a sudden I see tales of people visiting. I'm curious now because the work is never done. Is the work done for West Virginia? Could they have visitors? Could they have additions to this class? Might there be developments that we were not expecting some number of days ago and we thought things would slow down and we've since witnessed that 
in fact, they've hastened up a little bit. Yeah, you're going to see. You're still going to see a lot of movement here. Um, uh, Roberson from the wide receiver from Eastern Washington is going to be on campus next weekend, assuming he doesn't commit to Penn State this weekend. That's where he is right now. Um, when we say the portal is closed, I want to make something very clear here. That means a player can no longer enter the portal. If you are already in the portal, your recruitment's still open. So all those guys that are in the portal but not yet signed or enrolled somewhere, they can go off and visit schools. Like, in fact, you know, the portal closes on January 18th. There will be, I, I just mentioned one, transfers visiting on January 20th, January 27th. Uh, February, you can't because it's a dead period. But into the spring, you will have transfers visiting. When the transfer portal closes, that means you can no longer enter it. But once you are in it, you can still take visits. So even though the portal closes, visits still happening. Um, something to remember on that and, and a big reason why you really want kids to get actually enrolled. I just talked about West Virginia flipping um, Devin Carter, who had, quote unquote, committed to Penn State, you know, a verbal commitment. These transfer commitments, they are about as good, maybe a little better as your high school verbal commitments too. They, there's nothing pinned to paper on any of this stuff. And most transfers are not signing. They're not signing letters of intent. What locks them in with a school is either signing. You saw a few people do it on signing day, signing the financial aid paperwork to get the scholarships or literally enrolling in the school and starting class. That's what makes it official. So I, I don't, please don't freak out if you're listening to this, but for instance, MOLBA, West Virginia is going to have to hold on to him for the next four months because he has not signed anything. He obviously is not enrolling in classes until May. And so West Virginia is going to have to work to hold on to him for four more months unless he decides to out of the blue sign some financial aid package with West Virginia. I hate it. I love it, but I hate it. New, <laughs> a new type of retention. It's this never ends. Now there's wrinkles upon wrinkles there, and then I think you're going to see a new level of recruiting where, where schools are going to look at people who are like that, and can they make a late addition? Can they throw the bag at them and see what happens? Yeah, don't worry, guys, but be very worried. This is going to be overtaking. Um, I think before long there too. That'll wrap it up today. Um, a lot of topics, a lot of information, a lot more coming. I'm sure football, basketball, and beyond. We'll be here. We'll try to figure it out. Try to say hey to the news. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.